Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40%German.com, and as always, I'm joined by our co-host, the indestructible Dilly Algemer and stalwart producer Simon Josie to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hi, both of you. How are you doing? Hi, Nick. Hi, Simon. Hi, Dilly. Hi, Nick. Oh, look at that energy, Simon. You're bringing it, man. You're bringing it. That's what I want to hear. It's, uh, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. And uh, that's really exciting. I'm not particularly celebrating, I don't think. But um, Dilly, you've got a question about Valentine's Day that you wanted to bring to both me and Simon. I do have a question for both you and Simon, and this is going to be a little bit awkward. So I thought that since the podcast is airing on Saturday, I was going to ask you what you did on Valentine's Day. I can answer this one really easily, Simon, unless you've got one in the chamber already to, to, to go. No, you go ahead, Nick. Uh, my wife is uh, taking the children and leaving uh, leaving me on my own for three days. So um, I don't know about you, but that might be the greatest Valentine's gift anyone's ever given me. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I can match that. I expect I'll be spending all of Valentine's Day uh, editing a podcast. That's what I normally do on Wednesdays. Oh, the romance. But I, I, I do... Um, I do actually have maybe a slightly funny story. Do you remember SMS messages? Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, yes, they still exist, but everyone usually uses over-the-top messaging these days like uh, Messenger or WhatsApp, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But once upon a time, the Philippines used to be the SMS message capital of the world. In other words, per head of population, they sent the most SMS messages. And the dramatic increase in SMS messages sent on Valentine's Day always used to amuse the hell out of me. It just the, the traffic load of, of messages just went up enormously on this one day of the year, um, the, the, the 14th of February. Is that just people sending their, their bows a, a Valentine's text message? Well, probably their husband or wife and then their boyfriend or girlfriend as well. So, you know, it's a lot uh, of messages to send. Ah, uh, right. So it was because there was multiple partners. <laughs> Well, that's, yeah, that's, I've heard that interpretation for sure. Well, God loves a polygamist, mm. right? <laughs> Dear me. I don't, I don't know how people do it. I really don't. Do not know how people do it. Where do they find the energy? Yeah, well, Dilly, what, are you, what about you? What's your plans for the old uh, Valentine's Day? I'm going to go to work, come back, go to sleep, because I've already cooked today. Very special food, which means that I can take a break. What's special Valentine's food in your book? Just bitter gold, long bean curry, leaves, rice. <laughs> Just some leaves. <laughs> like the panda. <laughs> Eat shoots leaves. Yeah, you have some bamboo sharp. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, darling. Um, yeah. I mean, but so you're going to have like a romantic dinner then? No, I mean a long distance relationship. You can, you can wang the Skype out. You can get the Skype out, get some candles. Set a fire somewhere accidentally. Candles in the house. Ah, that's not very mm. German. Let's set off the smoke alarms. <laughs> <laughs> Depends what candles are. As a candle's not a bonfire. Yeah, it takes us, takes us back a bit to my, my time as a, having a, a long-distance relationship. Valentine's Day was always a funny one. Mm. Anniversaries. We just had our... Uh, 16-year anniversary, 15-year anniversary, 16-year anniversary. And because m my wife is the queen, apparently, and she has two anniversaries. So we have our wedding anniversary, which is 10 years this year, and the anniversary of when we first got together, So, mm. which was uh, way, way back in the mid-2000s. 
Um, yeah, Valentine's Day kind of got missed out because it was a week a week or so after our kind of relationship anniversary. Actually, the same thing. Um, so we, uh, my my boyfriend and I, celebrate the day that we first met every month. So that's the sixteenth. Oh, if only I remember when we used to have the energy to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so every day, every month on the sixteenth, we do something special if we are together in the same town. That's nice. That is mm. nice. That is a nice way to do it. Simon, yeah. do you have something like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> All right. And how, how long have you been married now? Like, it's like my age. I, I've forgotten. I can't remember how old I am. I can't remember how long Are I've been married. Are we counting married. in decades? Wow. Oh, no, actually, no, it should be easy because it was 2000. The, the year right, 2000. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so what? We reckon I need another five years and then we can... And I can just forget about it. <laughs> just give <Yes>. it up. <laughs> okay, that gives me faith. Um, I mean, one of the things I was thinking about with with regards to Valentine's Day, I attempted on Saturday to go Valentine's Day shopping of some description, just to buy something. I don't know whatever mm -hmm. it was going to be. Um, I had this thought, and we because we all went out as a family to into uh, into Augsburg city centre, uh, big day trip, and um, yeah. We've talked about the sorry state of German retail before and, and all these different department stores that are going bust. It feels like a month doesn't go by when some historic retail chain isn't going into insolvency. Um, like I said, I went into town at the weekend and I was pretty shocked at like how empty the, sh like the shops that were empty. There's always been a problem in Augsburg with that, but more and more. And I was like, like, is that something that is that something that's just happening in, in my city, or is it something that we're seeing in other places? And I was like, oh, how can I find out? And I was like, oh yeah, I've got a podcast where two of the other people on the podcast live in different parts of Germany. So I thought I'd ask you, have you noticed a similar sort of vibe where you are at Weissenfels or where you are, Simon, in, in Bonn, where you walk around the sort of city center and the shops are either mediocre or essentially just shut up and boarded up or the windows are all whited out, closed down. I noticed something like that in Frankfurt. So I'm in Weissenfels, but some of the time I'm also in Frankfurt in Hessen. And for a while I've been noticing that in the malls like the Skyline Plaza, uh, Lush has closed down. I think we mentioned this on the podcast once before. Then uh, Yves Rocher is closing down everywhere. It's uh, closed, uh, closed down in Halle and it's just... Uh, took its branches away um, from Germany and because I was preparing for the podcast I looked it up and it looks like so do you know what Yves Rocher is actually the two of you? Is it makeup or like perfume or yeah, cream, it's like, hand creams? Uh -huh, like uh -huh. So what do you call these people? It's not toiletries is it? Cosmetics. Cosmetics yeah toiletries cosmetics kind of people. They're based in Brittany in uh, France I don't know whether they are so well known. I, I really like their products if anyone from Yves Rocher is listening. Anyway, they closed up, uh, they closed shop in Germany. I tried to see, my boyfriend is Dutch, so I tried to see whether they're active in his town, but they closed up in New Zealand. Uh, sorry, they closed up in the Netherlands. I keep mixing up New Zealand and the Netherlands. It's easily mixed up. <laughs> They're so similar. It's understandable, you know. So, uh, well, hey, on that point, 
you do realise that, that if the Dutch had got their act together, I'd probably be speaking Dutch now. Nah, the British would have ended up fucking invading. You know what they're like. They can't fucking get rid of them. They turned up, they invaded, and then the British turned up and they had a bigger flag and more guns. That's yeah. Works. yeah. Well, like I say, if they they got their shit together, I'd be speaking Dutch now. <laughs> anyway, sorry to interrupt, Dylan, but I <laughs> no, just that's I, okay. I like to tell Dutch people when I meet them that. Okay, you can tell that to my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't get invited to many Dutch parties. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we invite Simon to the party? He keeps reminding us of the Dutch Empire. I know the Golden Age was a long time ago, but for Simon, it was last week. <laughs> You just wanted to be really tall like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I looked it up and they've closed a, a shop in the Netherlands, Austria and Switzerland. And I'm so deathly worried that they will close their franchise altogether because um, I don't know if the two of you can relate to this, but when I am used to some kind of shower gel, I that's that's all I buy. Mm -hmm. I like the smell, I like the texture. Mm -hmm. And I'm so worried that someone ghastly like L'Oreal or Unilever, I'm sorry, L'Oreal and Unilever, but you do, never mind, I'm not going to finish that sentence. But yeah, I know if someone like that is going to buy Guy Brochet and then change all the scents and things, I'm going to have a very private nightmare. You can still buy it online, right? You can. I know I shouldn't be so dramatic about it. But there's something about going to the store and using the samples. No, like during that, winter and you've forgotten your hand cream, you can always go to a store and use a little bit of the hand cream, you know. But you can't do that anymore. I was thinking if you if I had some money to invest, investing in like perfume stores, because that's one of those things that you can't really buy online unless you know exactly what you're buying. Because yeah. you have to try it out. You can't like just randomly, oh, th this is the notes that it says it has. All right, yeah. I'll buy it. Yeah. And then you buy like a hundred euro bottle and you're like, this stinks like shit. I don't want this anymore. So, so that's an example of something where I'm quite surprised because it's a product that you would think would live or die by people sampling it. But the, the big difference I saw was there was a Jack Jones shop that had been open for as long as I've been in Augsburg. What's Jack and Jones? Isn't it whiskey? It's it's now it's just clothes, like mm. um, sort of. It's the this, the the liminal space that exists between the people who can no longer shop at H and M mm. and haven't quite aged enough that they go and shop at CNA. Mm. So we're kind of in that. You're in that space. Bloody hell! Can you? Is there any more judgmental opinions you want to share tonight, Nick? It's true. If you've been to H and M recently, I walked in there and I was like, "If you don't, if you if you desperately want to dress like a twenty-one-year-old, this is the place to Dude, buy you." I'm so old. The only clothes I buy are functional clothes, like work clothes in the garden. Yeah, of course. I mean, you, yeah, but I mean, the vast majority of the, the clothes that aren't just t-shirts or plain kind of jeans, which is like one corner. The rest is like, do you want a giant puffer jacket? Do you want to? Do you want something with camouflage? Yeah, it's not great. No, but I think it, that's that's the function of Jack Jones. It's like for people who, like, especially for men who kind of want to remain fashionable, but they feel like they also don't want to kind of want to dress their age. That's a lot of what their products are. That's why it's why I shop there. Uh, so uh, yeah, and uh, that had closed, and I was just like, well, it doesn't surprise us because last time I bought anything that was a Jack Jones brand, I bought it from someone like Zalando, and like most of the clothes shops, you're going to buy. You can buy that stuff online. And then there was like a shop, there was a high-end, high-end clothes shop that had closed and has now been replaced by a high-end furniture shop. And it's just like, how long has it got? 
It's got maybe like who's buying high-end furniture in the center of Augsburg? I just don't see it. Like if a department stores can't remain solvent, how the hell's that going to happen? All the vape shops have closed in the city center, which tells you something when you can't even sell fucking drugs to people. It's like, <laughs> you can't even sell this nicotine to the addicted people. Like what's going on? Um, mm. And that's just like, how long before we turn up in Augsburg and there's just no shops? Like, do you think retail's totally fucked? I don't know whether it's just in Germany, though. So just the exa with just the example of Yves Rocher, it seems like people are having hardship uh, keeping their stores open uh, all across Europe. What, what do you think it is? Is it is it the death of downtown since since the pandemic, and people got used to working at home, got used to buying things online, and they're now. I mean, people even are pretty comfortable buying clothes online. And you would have thought maybe 10 years ago, that would have been a, a very foreign concept. You know, you usually want to try things on before you buy them. But now with reverse logistics, et cetera, they've made it so easy for you to return stuff if it's not the right size. Yeah. I buy clothes online, to be honest. I only buy clothes online now. Mm. But I told you, about, I think I've talked about my trials and tribulations, buying clothes and my body image and all that stuff. And actually I've been in a pretty healthy space with that regard because most of the time I just buy stuff online and if it doesn't fit, you send it back and you get a smaller or a larger version and, and it gets there in four days. And my experience of shopping was the ranges of sizes stopped at like just what was, what was likely to sell, not what you wanted. So it was a shirt that I really liked, but it only went up to extra large and I really needed for the shoulder and, and chest space needed an XXL, but they didn't sell those. So I can't get that thing. And, and I used to get anxiety and, and shit in the shop. And, and I went to one of the big department stores here, closed department stores. And I just had, I just looked around and I was like, I don't want to buy any of this stuff. And I don't need necessarily to buy anything in particular because I've been sort of accumulating a, some kind of wardrobe over the last year. And, and there was no pressure to buy anything. And I was like, actually, that's what would happen is I felt I needed to buy a new shirt and I'd have to buy a shirt or else what was the point of doing this shopping trip? And now it's like, oh, I don't even want any of this stuff. This None of this stuff appeals to me at all. And it feels like they've, they've really lent into the people who buy clothes are people over the age of 45. And so we're only going to stock clothes for those people. And that's part of the problem is why would a young person want to shop anywhere there? Why would anyone when there's such a lack of range and options, why would anyone want to go go to those shops? But also, like, what's attractive to go into the city centre, really? Food. Like, what's the motivation? Food. Yeah, that's that's my thought. It's like, do they lean into having more places to eat? And is that a good thing? More bars and restaurants? Is that the way forward? Casual dining? Pop-up shops? How popular are food courts with you? Well, like places where there's lots of different restaurants mm, in one building. Like, yeah, in one floor. I'd probably avoid it just because my assumption would be they're quite low, low quality. Mm. I don't think I've been to one in Germany at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're a big thing in Singapore, which is obviously the last place I looked at before I came here. And mm. there are some pretty fancy ones in Singapore, as well as some sort of cheap and cheerful ones. So... It's kind of fun when you go out with a, a, a largest group of people in a place like Singapore and mm. everyone can go get their own, you know, get Malay food or their Indian food or their Chinese, you know, or Western style. So, so everyone, you know, that's, it's quite convenient. It's easy. 
it was something we did often in Singapore, but I've, I've not done it here at all. Well, I would suggest it's a bit of a novelty, right? And that's kind of where my thought was at. Like the, the places that will succeed are the ones that are novel. It's not a great business model because eventually novelty wears off. But that that may be one of the things that you could have as shops that, 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 that offer something that others don't. Um, I was thinking like childcare and stuff like that, somewhere you could put your kids and you knew they'd be safe and you could just go around and do your shopping and then come back and pick them up. Like a service like that wouldn't be an awful thing to offer as a department store. Would you trust um, them though? Well, that's it. It's, you have to build up the trust, don't mm -hmm. you? Um, and there's ways you can you can manage that. You know, I think there's ways you could you could work around that and build that trust for sure. One of the other things that, that was that was notable is how how many there are these pop up shops, but the, the shops that pop up are these kind of things where they're like they're selling. Japanese Coca-Cola and American sweets for like a massive markup and the shelvins all like higgledy piggledy and it looks like it's just appeared overnight and it's clearly a fucking front for some organized crime. So like, oh we got American sweets and then you turn up a month later it's been closed down and they've made off like bandits. I, I kind of I, I get, it gets that vibe for, mm. from me but there was, a, there was a few of those shops where I was like that just seems suspect as fuck but it was busy. There's lots of people yeah, buying like yeah. Japanese Coca-Cola, so that's kind of maybe that's the maybe that's the future, you know. That sort of reminds me, Nick. Do you remember like a million episodes ago, you talked about uh, was it Seven Eleven coming to Germany? Yeah. H have you seen one? No, I haven't seen any. I think they're all in. They'll be all in fucking Berlin. That's what always happens. If you're an American company, you enter the north of Germany and then you slowly filter south. Yeah. I think there must there must be market research that says that that's the best point of entry yeah but um I, I've, I've been waiting and i still haven't had my deep fried burrito so it's kind of kind of depressing really um after the joy that it brought me i think i noticed a store like that somewhere in skyline plaza in frankfurt they have a very new american store where you can buy like root beer crafts uh macaroni and cheese yeah that you get to take home and make um and lots of sweets and things and and i'm like it's not like shockingly expensive stuff either. And it's just a bit of like sweets and crisps and that sort of thing. And maybe a couple of drinks thrown in. And I keep wondering, like, how do these people meet the rent? How do these people make money and meet the expenses? Now that you said like uh, money laundering, <laughs> I'm really wondering, hmm. Well, I only, only say that because in London the, the, there was like all these American sweet shops that popped mm. up and they turned like they were all linked by an organized crime gang. They were just basically money laundering fronts. Did they find um, out or is it just suspect? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was like that was what was happening. Ooh. Dilly, I mean, you go to Frankfurt quite often. I, I heard there's a Chipotle in uh, Frankfurt. Seriously? Yeah. I think it's the only one in Germany, apparently. No. Do you know where? No, but I guess we could Google and find out. If only there was a resource <laughs> yeah. with which we could find out this kind of information. <laughs> okay, that wasn't an invitation to do that right now, Dilly. Back in the room, please. <laughs> Too late. She's <laughs> got a bit between her teeth, man. So there's two, actually. There's two? Called, oh, oh, wait. Yeah. I don't think I've seen this before. It had, uh, one is at Mitesail. By the way, so, this, is, uh, uh, this is podcast gold, I'd just like to tell you. Yeah, I know. Okay. Everyone's listening with bated breath to hear about Chipotle. <laughs> Chipotle. Okay, so there's one at Meitzel, that's a shopping center just uh, just between Hauptwache and Konstablewache, if I'm right. 
And then there is another at Oyerop Ali. Okay, well, we expect a full report. I'm just saying. It's got to be because of the Americans, right? It's got to be like the amount of Americans that live in Frankfurt and work for international banks and stuff like that. Actually, wait, I think I've seen the one at Maitzel. I was looking at everyone's food and I don't know why I didn't go in. I think I wanted a pizza that day. But it's a Chipotle Mexican grill. Ah. So what do the two of you say? Should I try it out one day? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, definitely. I expect a report on my desk by next week. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's carnival season in Germany. Well, I mean, if, if you're in Cologne or, uh, or Köln and Dusseldorf, it's been carnival season since November the 11th. But uh, for the rest of us, it's been carnival season over the last couple of weeks. And we're recording, in fact, on Fastnacht Dienstag or Fasching Dienstag, which is the uh, Shrove Tuesday or Pancake Day to you, uh, non-Germans. But it is a big day in the in the carnival celebrations. But other than carnival being celebrated, there was another large, very large celebration that was happening over the weekend, and that was Chinese New Year. And uh, so although not, it's not something I particularly partake in, a certain person on the podcast, namely producer Simon, was enjoying the, uh, the, the, the fruits of, um, I think, what, what seemed like a lot of people's labor. Uh, if photographs of his dinner table and desserts were to be taken uh, at face value. So Simon, uh, what were you doing for Chinese New Year? Well, yeah, so shortly after the beginning of the new year, I think around about the 6th of January, we went to some Greek friends place for dinner and we said, oh, you must come to our place for dinner. And at that time, my wife had on the idea that we'd make make it Chinese New Year and do a Chinese New Year uh, meal. And having lived in China for five, five and a half years and then in Taiwan for a couple of years and... Um, after that, uh, spent uh, more than 11 years, I think, living in Singapore. We've had quite a bit of exposure to Chinese culture and particularly Chinese food. And the thing that I always like to tell people is that when we went to live in Beijing, one of the most amazing discoveries for us was the food there. Because I think, and at least the way it's been explained to me, often people outside China, their first experience of Chinese food is... Chinese takeaways, and often Chinese takeaways are heavily influenced by the migrants, the people who migrated out of China from the south of China, okay? So the, the style of food that they brought with them was uh, different to the food that we encountered when we first went to, to, to live in Beijing, which is in the north of China. And, and this is the thing, is that actually... China is a vast country. Uh, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. And so there's a tremendous range, diversity of, of food there. And what is kind of a little bit remarkable when you first go to northern China is that the food that is eaten in northern China is actually quite familiar, I would say, to a Western palate. Okay. And the other thing is that, at least when we went there, and this was in just before the turn of the century, food was was pretty cheap. And so when you went out somewhere to eat, you could easily afford to to try different things because, you know, it wasn't a disaster financially if, if you didn't enjoy something. Fast forward to, to last weekend, my wife uh, decided that she would um, 
put together this this feast. Actually, we had friends on Saturday night, and then we had these Greek friends on Sunday lunch. And she said, I'm going to make all this Chinese food, and I'm sort of going to make it in one bunch, and we're going to have more or less the same thing on Saturday and Sunday. Actually, it wasn't quite exactly the same. But um, the thing that was amazing for me was that, I mean, I've, I've had Chinese food since we left China, obviously. But she did such an amazing job with with the cooking. It really reminded me of the of of the dishes that we used to eat in in Beijing. Now, perhaps my tastes are a little Western when it comes to Northern Chinese food, and some people more familiar with Chinese food may be a little bit horrified. But I will go through the things that that she made just to really just to make you jealous, Nick and Dilly. I, I mean, no other reason. Okay, so. One of my all-time favorites is something called Yao Jiding, which is uh, cubed chicken uh, stir-fried in this amazing sauce with uh, cashew nuts. And then one of our favorites is something called Gambian Bian Do, which is basically fried green beans, which is usually done with sort of a, a light pork mince. But my wife, being vegetarian, we excluded the, the pork. And, and believe me, it doesn't really subtract by not having uh, the, the pork mince there. Um, one of our favorites and one of the delights that we found when we when we went to China is something called Yuxiang Tiedze, which is fish-flavored aubergine or eggplant. Who knew that the Chinese were really big into eggplant? But in fact, they are, and that's, that's wonderful. And even though it's called fish-flavored, that's really because of the how the sauces are made and it doesn't really taste like fish to me and it's actually something my wife uh, really loves to eat as well. Um, on Sunday, we didn't have this on Saturday, but on Sunday she made this Mongolian dish that basically consisted of beef strips and the beef was so tender, you'd think that she cooked the beef itself and then cut it to serve, but actually no, she cut it first and followed this really ornate uh, procedure to, to cook and to yeah to, to basically to cook cook the, the the beef and all these sauces and it was just yeah just amazing. Um, we did have dumplings. Really okay. She said okay. I'm not making the dumplings, um, but we had some fish and some pork dumplings. But yeah, we got those from uh, Go Asia or the Asia Shop wherever it is in um, in downtown Bonn. Uh, so that was that was good. Um, she did this cubed salmon in the air fry, which mm. was just a die for. I, I think it I had some that. sort of sweet um, sauce on it, honey flavored sauce. It was just amazing. Yeah. Sorry everyone, but it was just amazing. Um, she did, even though I didn't have any because, you know, being a middle-aged man and terrified of rice, but she did do jidan chow fan, which is egg fried rice, which is kind of nice, but I tried to avoid it. Um, there was one tofu dish, which was which was pretty nice. It was, um, I mean, I love tofu because I've been eating it for 30 years. I know a lot of people don't like tofu, but for me, it's all about you cook it to the right texture and then you, it's what the sauces, the sauces mm. that go with, with it, which make it so wonderful. Um, so that was good. Um, another thing very familiar in China to those people who have been there is, is a cucumber salad with chili, red chili. Mm. That's, that's very nice. Very simple, but, but very nice. Um, there was one other chicken dish, but I can't remember what it was called. And then just to piss everyone off, we had a very non-Chinese pavlova for dessert, and you've seen photos of that. And that was that was double stacked. She hadn't done a double stacked one before, 
And um, our Greek friends were suitably impressed with that. Just maybe one final thing I will add, if you're wondering, uh, did we have any Mao Tai? No, we did not. That is the most disgusting smelling drink I've ever smelt in my... I can, I can still imagine, it's been how many years since I lived in China, I know I can imagine what that smell is like. It is, it's it's a, a white uh, spirit distilled and fermented in China, and it is horrendous. It, it's sort of... It's a bit of a joke amongst the, the 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 foreigners who go and live in for some time in in China to to experience this stuff. It's it's awful. It's absolutely but awful. Every culture has one of those drinks, though, right? Like oh, one absolutely! Of those really fucking horrible beverages that everyone's like, "What the hell? Yeah, why I, why is this popular?" Exactly. And I I mean I I love we we loved our time living in China. We have tremendous. I mean, you always love your first sort of experience of living somewhere overseas because you make such an effort to get there, to be there, to survive, to try and succeed. So China is is very dear to our hearts. But you're right, Nick, every country has some sort of horrendous alcohol-based beverage, which is just, yeah, sort of an experience to drink and not a pleasurable one. Yeah, so it's, it's Year of the Dragon as well, which is like the most auspicious of years. Um, and you informed me before, Simon, that you, you one, of, one of your children was born in the year of the dragon, which means you'll be well looked after in your dotage, I'm sure. Um, but it's 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 also, I think if I'm right, the year of the dragon is when the most children are usually born in China, which isn't a stereotype. I think it's statistically true. Most people kind of aim for that year because it is seen as being fairly um, a fairly solid bet. And uh, I remember, oh, it's good. A good while ago, I read, I think I read something that was about whether it's true that children who are born in the year of the dragon are um, likely to be successful. And one of the things that they pointed out was um, that like, the, the, you would think it wouldn't be actually, because if there's more kids born, it means class sizes are going to be bigger, which means there's more competition, which means it's unlikely that your child will necessarily succeed because may not get the attention that they might get at school and then they might not get this, the grades that they need and so on and so forth. But um, I think there's a series of researchers and they did a big study on this. And uh, what they came away with was the year of the dragon is a great year to be born. The kids born in the year of the dragon are usually more successful than average, but they have no idea why. <laughs> so it's like, I love that, that study. It's excellent. Yeah. So as you said, my, um, in fact, my eldest son was born in 2000, which was uh, another year of the dragon. And of course, uh, leading up because he was born in October. And, and so uh, my wife would sort of wander, waddle around with this enormous belly out in front of her. And of course, everyone knew that, oh, it's going to be a dragon baby. So, so there was, it drew a lot of attention. Of course, her being a foreigner as well. But yeah, you, you're right. There's, there's a lot of focus on trying to have a baby in the dragon year. Yeah, I got I got uh, the year of the pig, which didn't help me when I was severely overweight, and people realised I was born in the year of the pig. That didn't help, but it turned out the year of the pig's actually quite good. It means that I'm uh, innocent and happy, and laid Aww. back and caring, which is all the things that are true. Nick, then that's the same year I was born, right? Eighty three. Yeah, best best kids, man. 83, best kids, happy the... happy and cheerful. That's us. Eighty three is a solid number. It's a solid number. And I was also born on the 11th of the 11th month. <gasps> I, I'm very sure that has to mean something other than <laughs> carnival. <laughs> it, means, it means carnival. <laughs> no, I think it's, uh, I think the best is, is sevens, right? Sevens across the deck. Uh, 
Yeah, seven, eight, nine. Well, that's actually, that's a funny thing because uh, Chinese people, and I don't want to generalize here, but but the fascination with numbers and the luck associated with numbers is is really something to behold. Mm. I remember when I was leaving China, at least two of my colleagues wanted my phone number, my mobile phone number, because of the sequence, the numbers. Um, and I didn't think it was particularly good, but there was a there was a nine in there, and they just yeah yeah no this is a lucky number. This is, four of course is the big bad one. You don't want four, but eight seven, um, they're they're all good. I mean we we all look at that and go oh it's just superstition, and then you see all the footballers not washing their socks or like wearing the same pair of pants every time they they play a game because they're one in them once, you know. So, like, it's, I don't think it's any odder than that. Well, absolutely. Or cricketers who put the left pad on before they put the right pad on and stuff like exactly. that, right? Exactly, exactly. Simon, I was thinking that I mean, you you had a wonderful list of food and you had, like, meticulously written down all the Chinese names and with the right pronunciation, really, like, honoring the meal that your wife made. I thought that was pretty sweet. Um, and also, I noted that you started the year with the resolution that you were going to go on a big diet after your Christmas dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, that didn't last. And it's it's almost like as good the, as my as my dry January. That <laughs> it's 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 a, it's the middle of February, and I don't think you're anywhere near any sort of resolution. <laughs> I, I I take a little bit of offence at that, Dilly. Um, thanks for bringing that up. Um, <laughs> I. I had not had Oops. any alcohol since the 6th of January until Saturday night. That was the first drink of beer or whatever it was. No, I had a gin and tonic, actually, and then I had a beer. So so actually, I'd been doing okay, you know, because I was trying to have a dry quarter. Um, but yeah, quite a few calories were consumed. The last of the Chinese food was finished today. Luckily, I had a friend around here and for the last couple of days and and he helped me finish off the chinese food so so that's good but there's a few sweets and things in the in the house luckily we sent the re- remaining part of the pavlova home with the greeks on sunday afternoon so at least that temptation wasn't in the house because but of course i did have two enormous slices before it went there was a strawberry pavlova wasn't it uh there were uh, raspberries raspberries, raspberries. In it. It was a glorious looking thing. Mm. I always look forward to your your weekend messages. As soon as I saw that you'd sent us five messages, like this is food, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, yep. Yeah. That's that's what I expect on the WhatsApp chain for decades from home. Although this isn't the official fashion carnival episode, it is being recorded right in the slap bang middle of it. And obviously, Carnival and Fashing have been going on for a couple of weeks and have kind of occupied some of the topics on the podcast. But given that most of the celebrations are really kicking off now, it's been interesting seeing some of the events that are being held around the country. We happened to walk through um, Augsburg where they had their uh, setup. Uh, it wasn't particularly well attended. There was some sort of school kids doing dances and sort of singing on a stage uh, and they seemed to be only watched by their adoring parents uh, which was which was nice but not really the kind of hedonistic madness that i come to expect from carnival but yeah that was uh, sort of tame in comparison to some parts of the country uh, where reports have come in uh, thanks to various viral videos and 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 stories in the papers that are a, a lot less seemly shall we say there's an investigation b- 
being carried out currently in the town of Landsberg after a suspicion of incitement to hatred following their carnival event, where a carnival float in their local parade, which featured several men, and weirdly a Lego theme, uh, and this was from the group called the Landjugen Hörnfuch, were said to have shouted xenophobic slogans uh, on their on their way through the parade during uh, their Thursday event last week. Uh, there's a video that's been doing the rounds on social media, went viral, I think, around Saturday or Sunday. And you can see and hear people on the float chanting, foreigners out, uh, as they travel along. And the um, the song they were singing uh, along to was a song from Italian DJ, it's Gigi D'Agostino, and it's called, apologies, apologies listeners, you're going to suffer through um, what, another another terrible bit of pronunciation, l'amour toujours, uh, which is a, a song I've heard before with the same refrain. And there's a video that came out last year of, uh, in a club of German people chanting foreigners out along with this song. So it's a bit of a, a meme somewhat. Uh, the organizers of the carnival parade in Landsberg Amlech, the Lacaria Association, said they were horrified by the events. And when asked by uh, Bayerischer Rundfunk, uh, their volunteer press spokesman, Thomas Bieler, said that the Lacaria and Elferat emphatically distanced themselves from the incident. Uh, and he said that um, they'd spoken to the board of the Hohenfurcher Carnival Association, and they were very contrite, but claimed not have to have been on the float themselves, uh, which is obviously a key factor. Bieler went on to say that he didn't notice anything, which I kind of felt a bit odd given that there were so many videos of this thing and it was very loud and very obvious what was being chanted. And according to him, neither did the jury that evaluated the different floats. And it was only on Friday that the information came out about it as this video was released. He also made it clear that there's a ban uh, now in place on this group joining carnival events. Uh, and he said, we don't want something like this in Landsberg. I mean, this is something that I think is quite common in carnival and, and fashion. It's something I've tracked for years now, this this issue of black facing and sort of racial costumes and things like that. But this is the first time I've seen it quite overtly directed towards uh, some xenophobic chanting. Apparently, it's not the only incident either. There's been other incidents around Germany. Nazi slogans were sung to the same song in the Rhineland. Uh, in Kempton, there was a racist poster that was attached to a tractor at the carnival parade, uh, which police are now investigating. Uh, and according to media reports, there was an incident that occurred uh, in a rally in, in Saxon Calm in, in Bad Tulls district. Uh, there was a car with, with people with blackface and, and they were wearing water rings and, and, and protesting refugee accommodation. Um, so I'm just wondering, is this something you've noticed about carnival or fashion that you have these kind of racist costumes, essentially? Or, I mean, have you seen anything, have you heard of anything as overt as this in carnival before? People are certainly getting more comfortable with this, aren't they? Seems as much, yeah. Like before there was like an innocence, like an innocence isn't the right word, to be honest, but like it felt like there was like a, an ignorance. Um, around it like oh oh i didn't realize it was mm -hmm. racist or that's oh, not really racist like a kind of like 90s 80s 90s kind of approach to racism where, oh it's not really racist until they actually meet someone who is a person of color and they go yeah it's really fucking racist i think we've had like very isolated uh, posts from german politicians 
during fashing and carnival, right? Uh, haven't we had blackface, brownface posts, for example? Well, Marcus Sudas fam famously dressed up as Gandhi about a decade ago. Uh, he did. Which required him to wear uh, blackface. Uh, it didn't require him, he didn't have to, but... <laughs> Uh, these photos keep getting circulated every now and then. And I'm wondering if like famous, powerful people doing this sort of thing kind of sets the tone for everything else. And people just keep thinking that it's edgy or um, like it's like a statement piece. I don't think it's that. I don't. I, I think in this instance, it is exactly what it sounds like. I think there was a lot of people going, oh, they were not really racist. It's not really what we're about. And I'm like, well, you can't chant. Um, foreigners out on a float going through mm. a parade and mm. not be seen for what exactly what it is yeah but i think i think previous incidents where there was carnival groups who were dressing up as as kind of blacked up tribes people with bones through their noses and i mean literally that's what they were dressed as oh, shit. and they'd have like yeah yeah i mean there's there's that stuff i've, I've seen that um reported and, and and i've seen it in person as well so that that's definitely something that's that's been a feature of of rural events at least and yeah, I, I think it stems from a sense that oh, it's not really racist, or it might even stem from this idea that the carnival is all about upending social norms and um, kind of electing a, a fool uh, as the mayor for a day and that kind of thing. And so there's a sense that it's acceptable because of the, the frame that fashion or carnival comes in. But I, I kind of feel like that is just a convenient excuse. So, Nick, are you, are you suggesting that what might have been taken as ignorant behaviour 10, 20 years ago is now actually a deliberate stance in the culture wars? Is that is that your impression? Well, I, yeah, I, I can only assume that's what's happening the, the, that's the shift and that's the change is it's 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 designed to be edgy or for them to seem kind of cool and there's like a weird aspect of that certainly in rural communities where ignorance and or what we might be perceived as kind of counter-cultural approaches to to kind of costumes and stuff like that there is those aspects but this definitely feels like there's a more belligerence around it uh, than there was. And I remember even just a few years ago, there was a very famous carnival group that retired all its kind of racist tropes that had been wheeling out year after year uh, to great kind of crying and gnashing of teeth among among a local population. But it's not the first time. I think it's a, I do think it's a rural thing. And, and this kind of question is like, is it really showing how out of touch rural areas are with the, the kind of modern world? Because I just don't think... I just don't think you'd see that in major cities. I just don't think you'd see people that brash about it. D does it generate much reaction in the media? Because, I, I mean, my context would be New Zealand, and I would, if, if this kind of thing happened in New Zealand, it would be, you know, front page news if someone tried to do this or a large group of people tried to behave like this. And, and I don't know if anyone would do this in New Zealand. Of course, I'm not saying that everyone's perfect in New Zealand. I'm talking more about the reaction if if this happened. And I'm just wondering, is it generating much noise in Germany? 
It's it's in the papers. Every paper's like I typed in Landsberg and and, and Fashing, and, and all he got was like loads and loads of reports on the same story. Mm. And, and the reaction seems to be very much that, that it's taken as as an incitement to hatred, as as I said at the beginning. But there's two kind of there's two kind of lanes here. There's the the, the, the kind of idiot ignorant people who dress up as say native americans is a very popular costume to dress up as native americans and the reaction to that is is one thing and then you've got this which is more overt which is which is more a i think directed towards a a legal kind of punishment whereas the social punishment for um and this is something i saw online there's someone a video a photo of a, a young woman some kind of i'm not sure if she was an influencer she had the, the vibe of an influencer and she had a, a native american costume and she was clearly going to fashion and it had gone viral and the tweet i'd seen was someone going ah oh, people telling this woman that she's terrible that isn't going to change people's minds and that isn't going to going to make people understand that they shouldn't wear these costumes and it's a terrible discussion and i'm like i think it's 2024 you know and I feel like I said this in 2020, but like, it's 2024. And if you don't fucking know by now, then like fucking, what, who are we to fucking educate you? <laughs> what the fuck do we have to educate people? Oh, we've got to have a discussion. No, just don't fucking do it. Yeah. Let me suffer the consequences of what you do and also educate you because, you know, I have the headspace for all that. Do you know if Germany has anything like a race relations conciliator in in here, just because that's a that's a quasi governmental role in New Zealand. Every so often, so, well, every there's there's someone permanently um, appointed to this role. Uh, it's usually a, a senior member of the community, someone who's has some reputation um, called a race relations conciliator, and they sort of they deal with these kind of issues um, as well as the media dealing with them. And I guess depending on the severity, I guess they could be charged as well um by the police i don't know if there is i don't know if there's an official position in in the government i think sort of companies do i doubt it i mean let's be honest the deedfer is the the archetype we just talked about chinese new year every year they have chinese fashion where for decades they've been dressing up in the most heinous racist chinese costumes yellow face and everything right. And last year they promised it wouldn't happen, and this year it happened again because there's people who are used to doing it and people who just don't think it's a big issue because they've probably never met a Chinese person before. And uh, I think it's just a, um, it's it feels like a feature rather than a bug at this point, especially in Deepford. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's a lot being done regarding this. I don't think there's a lot of sensitivity around it. And I think the reaction is interesting because 10 years ago, the reaction was minimal. Like now it seems like there's actual, there's, there's, there's punishment in the offing or there's some kind of condemnation of, of it happening. And I do wonder if this had happened in 2011, whether there'd still be the same reaction. I, I guess that's a good thing. I, at least I, I take it to be a good thing that if it's generating this much noise and heat now, that means that the society has moved on as a whole, if not individually, and there's a wider understanding that this is not okay. Or is that too rose-tinted a view, do you think? I think something's shifted, for sure, and I think maybe maybe that is the positive step, but I mean, it's still happening, and it'll probably still happen again next year, and it'll probably still happen the year after that. I think it's 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 when you start banning groups and start actually coming down on them, with a bit more harshness than a slap on the wrists, 
that people might finally work it out. Yeah, I, I was just trying to think of a, a a parallel, and it's probably not a very good parallel. But you know, when I was a little kid, at least in semi-rural New Zealand, it was kind of okay to drink and drive. You know, it wasn't taken that seriously. And by the time I was 15, 16, 17, it was really not okay. And even after that, the message had got through to the broader community, it's not okay to drink and drive. Just in the same way that people don't smoke in the way they used to. I mean, think of all the places that people, they used to smoke on planes, they used to smoke in pubs and all those, and and that stopped. So it's... I guess it's a combination of, of regulation and law and, and threat of punishment. But I think also the community has to, to move and grow and, and change and progress as well, yeah? I just still think if you, if you, you know what you're doing, if you stand on a float singing, singing uh, foreigners out, you know, you know what those words mean. Like there isn't any, any, any. Yeah. And I think that's the, the truth of it is, is, is that there are still these potential pockets and we can look at the positives, but... Um, I think awareness is part of it, and the awareness is shifting. I think um, that's that's a positive. Yeah, but. that's that's my point. Is yeah, there are there are always going to be idiots, outliers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if the is it is it the Overton window they talk about? If if that's shifted, Indeed, yeah, then that's that's the positive thing I'm talking about. That brings us to the end of the show. We are all moving to Bonn in the hope we might be invited to producer Simon's house for dinner. Yes, Simon. What's on the menu, man? Come on. Come on. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag decadesfromhome, all lowercase, on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dillion at Delini Algama, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks, and bis zum nächsten Mal. Cheers! Cheers.